Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Physician Assistant Exam Review Podcast. This week, we're going to pick up with GYN uh, and get started with the menstrual cycle. My name is Brian Wallace. I'm the host and creator here at Physician Assistant Exam Review, and I am here to help you get through your exams, to get through school, to help you break down all of this ridiculous amount of information that you need to know and help make it easier. I find that so many people out there are trying to, let's say, just make themselves sound smarter as they cover this stuff, or they're not confident enough in the material, so they don't want you to question them. Uh, and they don't like those questions. They don't like those that to happen. I, I come from a very different background. I come from the background of, uh, let's jump into this together. Let's figure this out. Uh, I've been doing this for a while, so I've got a lot of the answers, but I certainly don't have all of them. Please point out any mistakes. Let's get to it. Uh, and I want to present it in a way that's as simple and straightforward and easy for you to remember as possible. Remember, my goal here is to help you pass your exam, to help you get through school, to help you do better on your rotations. My goal is to help you feel more confident as you approach all of these things. That's what I'm looking for. It's not to um, make myself look good and make boost my ego. It's to put this information out there to make it so that you can feel good about it, that you understand what's going on, that you have a clear idea. Even in the operating room, I have a very, uh, <laughs> I, have a, I have a hard time, let's say, memorizing things. Um, when people ask specific questions, I, I don't know the answers to those specific questions. What I'd prefer to do is understand what's going on, and then I can always figure out the question whether or not I, I remember it. So for me, in explaining all this material, uh, yes, I believe me, I'm a huge fan of key terms. I think they're vastly important, and memorizing those things is great. But I think that without a basic understanding of what you're talking about, you then have to memorize everything, which is almost impossible. I think it's much, much easier to have an understanding and a feel for how things work. And that's going to play into what we talk about today with the menstrual cycle. A lot of people struggle with the menstrual cycle because I think they try to memorize it, then they lose track of it. Uh, I'm going to have a great <laughs> one of those diagrams that everybody has. Uh, I'll have up on the website of all you know the, the hormone levels that go up and down, what happens to the uterus, what happens to the, to the eggs, and so on. Um, and looking at that's a little bit overwhelming. But as we go through it today, I think you'll find it's a whole lot more straightforward, a whole lot easier than you've been led to believe. I don't think what you need to know for your exam is really all that complicated. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in and get started. All right, so our priming questions are first, as always. Um, so what I want you to do is really focus, really stop and think about these answers. If you're driving in your car, uh, pay attention for just a second. Uh, if you're at home, write the answers down. I think that's really valuable. We're going to do these uh, to get your brain thinking, to get it working, and they will absolutely help you retain the information as we go through the podcast if you work on these in your brain and don't just sit back and listen to them and you know wait for me to move on to the next thing and give you the answer. So let's start with the first one. What defines the first day of the menstrual cycle? What's day number one? It's the first day of menstrual flow is the is the beginning of the menstrual cycle. So when uh, when menstruation begins, that's the day one of of the menstrual cycle. Some people think it has to do with ovulation. Nope it's it's the shedding of that uterine lining. It's the it's menstruation is day one. What hormone dominates the first half of the menstrual cycle? What hormone dominates the first half of the menstrual cycle? follicular stimulating hormone. And we'll get into that's FSH and LH and all that stuff as we move through here. At what age do you begin to work up a primary amenorrhea? What age group do you work up a primary amenorrhea? 
So a female with no secondary sex characteristics and no menstruation, at age 14, you start working her up, uh, is the textbook answer. And if there are secondary sex characteristics, you wait till age 16. What's the most common cause of secondary amenorrhea? Most common cause of secondary amenorrhea. We'll get to some of these definitions. Don't worry about it if you don't know it. But think it through. Secondary amenorrhea, what could that mean? And what's the most common cause? So the most common cause here is pregnancy. Secondary amenorrhea is you've had your you've had your menstrual cycle in the past and now you don't. Uh, pregnancy is the number one cause for secondary amenorrhea. All right, sweet. So let's jump right in and start discussing our definitions and start begin GYN with the menstrual cycle. All right, there are two. Uh, the easiest way to explain it is there's two basic parts to the menstrual cycle. There's the follicular phase and the luteal phase. Um. The follicular phase is the beginning. So day one, basically to day 14, we're talking about a 28-day cycle. Obviously, not everyone follows that exactly, but that's sort of what we're, you know our discussion is going to be based around. Day one begins with menses. We talked about that just before. That's important to understand if you're going to un- remember, if, you, <laughs> if you're not going to memorize all of this, if you're just going to get it, if you're going to understand how this works, it's really important to remember that day one of the cycle begins with menses. Estrogen increases, causing the uterine lining to thicken during the follicular phase. So follicular stimulating hormone, FSH, increases stimulating follicles. The follicles are basically little sacs that contain the eggs, okay? We use them sort of, the word follicle sort of interchangeably with eggs. That's not exactly true, um, but it, it works in discussion. So the follicles are basically little sacs that hold the eggs. So FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, stimulates the follicles, pretty straightforward. So estrogen's increasing the uterine lining, and FSH is stimulating the follicles. On day two or three, uh, one of the follicles becomes the dominant follicle. I don't remember, and I don't think there was a, a good, clear reason for why which one gets picked. Um, but regardless, for our purposes, it really doesn't matter. On day two or three, one of the follicles gets picked, and it becomes the dominant follicle. Somewhere around day 14, a surge in luteinizing hormone, LH, causes the dominant follicle to release its eggs. This is ovulation, so that's halfway through. All right, So phase one is the follicular phase. Really simple. Starts with menstruation. Estrogen goes up, causing the uterine lining to thicken, getting it ready for that egg. FSH goes up, causing the follicles to be stimulated and to pick one. At about day 14, LH spikes, and we get the release of that egg, which is ovulation. So now we're at the halfway point. The second part is the luteal phase. So the follicle changes into the corpus luteum, uh, which secretes progesterone. Okay, so the follicle changes into the corpus luteum. The high levels of progesterone and estrogen are important for creating the thickening line in the uterus for implementing the fertilized egg. So that uterus still continues to thicken throughout this phase, using progesterone and estrogen to uh, estrogen to uh, to stimulate that. If no implantation takes place within two weeks, there's a dramatic drop in progesterone and estrogen, resulting in the shedding of the uterine lining, and the whole thing starts again. So really simple: follicular, fa- follicular phase, luteal phase. Follicular phase, we get the follicles stimulated and selected. It ends with ovulation. The luteal phase is the the progression of that follicle into the corpus luteum, waiting to get fertilized. If it doesn't get fertilized, the uterine lining is shed, and we start again. So the first half is dominated by FSH. It ends with the spike in LH to release the, the egg. And then if that egg is not fertilized, the uterine lining is shed, and that starts the whole thing over again. Okay, so that's day 28 and day one. 
having a clear idea of how that works makes the hormones more obvious, more you more clear to understand. So you have to memorize less. Like I said before, if you know follicle stimulating hormone stimulates follicles, then you know that that has to be in the first half of the menstrual cycle, right? If ovulation's halfway through, it makes sense. It can't be in the second half because who would we don't need to stimulate follicles in the second half, right? So that's a clear picture that I really want you to hold in your head. Again, I'll have that diagram over on the website. Go check it out. Physicianassistantexamreview.com. Uh, if you head over to the OBGYN section, you should be able to find it. No problem. This is episode eight of season two. So that should be pretty clear to find. It'll be a nice clear picture. Um, or if you type it into Wikipedia or anywhere else, you can come across that diagram pretty easily about the different the, the phases and what goes on throughout menstruation. All right, so let's get into some issues uh, with menstruation, starting with amenorrhea. Uh, amenorrhea is simply the lack of menstruation. Primary amenorrhea, amenorrhea, meaning that you've never had menstruation, uh, like we said earlier, is worked up in a 14-year-old female who has never, who has no secondary sex characteristics, or a 16-year-old female who does have secondary sex characteristics but is never menstruated. That's primary amenorrhea. Uh, your clinical presentation here uh, can be anywhere from no secondary sex characteristics to breast development, but no pubic or axillary hair, to normal secondary sex characteristics and simply no menstruation. Your differential diagnosis uh, includes a whole list of things. I didn't do all of them, but certainly we'll start with some some basic ones. So imperforate hymen. So a completely sealed hymen will prevent menstrual flow and cause backup of blood into the uterus, and you get some cyclical you get cyclical pain, uh, monthly pain uh, that these girls will get, uh, but no menstrual flow. Gonadal agenesis or dysgenesis. <laughs> Hypoplastic dysfunctional ovaries would, would cause this so that you're not getting a response. Turner syndrome. So if you have a 45X person, uh, they're not going to get, they're not going to menstruate in a normal way. Androgen insensitivity. So you have a genetic male uh, who is phenotypically female. The testes didn't descend properly. Cervical agenesis. So this will prevent menstrual flow if the cervix isn't, uh, if, if the cervix is not properly formed. Mueller and agenesis, this is, makes it so that the uterus never really develops inside of these women. And if you get a tumor of the pituitary or the hypothalamus, it'll affect the LH and FSH productions and how they work. Remember, LH and FSH are produced through the pituitary. So issues there will cause uh, issues with LH and FSH and screw up this whole cycle. Labs and studies, pretty obvious, really. You're going to <laughs> you're gonna start with some blood work, so you're going to get FSH levels, LH levels, uh, beta HCG. Again, pregnancy, you just never know. Estrogen, uh, prolactin, testosterone, all these things, basically a hormone panel to determine what our causes are. For imaging, um, uh, ultrasound of the pelvis is a good idea, transvaginally. You can do an ultrasound of the thyroid, a CT or MRI of the hypothalamus and pituitary, again, checking for uh, issues with those organs and their production, see if there's some kind of a tumor or a mass there. And then a karyotype. Again, you're looking for genetic abnormalities like Turner syndrome. Treatment here is going to be based on your causes. So I'm not going to go through all of them because it's, it's, they're very specific. So things like an imperfect hymen, you're going to do surgery, androgen insensitivity, you're, going to re, you're not going to fix that, but you're going to remove the testes uh, because there's an elevated risk of testicular cancer. Uh, but each of these ha will have their own specific, either you're not going to do anything about it, or they'll have their own specific treatment that I really don't imagine your test is going to go uh, into that much detail on. Secondary amenorrhea. So like primary amenorrhea, it's not menstruating. But in this case, it's you've menstruated in the past, but now don't. So no menstruation over a six-month period in someone who's previously uh, had their menstrual cycle. 
in a patient with oligomenorrhea, so infrequent menstrual periods, um, secondary amenorrhea may be pushed out to 12-month period rather than a six-month period if someone's very irregular. And again, pregnancy is the most common cause for secondary amenorrhea. Someone comes in and says, I haven't had my my period in three months. Um, Your first thought is, are you pregnant? Or is there any chance that you're pregnant? Not are you pregnant? Everybody will say no. Is there any chance that you're pregnant? Clinical presentation. Um, this can be significant weight change, change in exercise patterns, signs of polycystic ovarian syndrome, so hyacinthism, obesity, virilization. Uh, galactorrhea is another possibility. So milk from the breast, which is not associated with childbirth, uh, may come in as part of this presentation. Because again, it just shows that your hormones are screwed up, basically, is the bottom line there. Your differential diagnosis here, obviously, is pregnancy. Uh, anorexia will cause this. Uh, stress will cause this. Polycystic ovarian syndrome will cause this. We'll talk about uh, PCOS at a different point. We're not going to cover it in this section. Tumors of the hypothalamus or pituitary. Again, if we're screwing up FSH and LH and all your other hormones, certainly uh, can cause a major issue with amenorrhea, with the menstrual cycle. Sheehan syndrome is one that's sort of a key term. Um, it's damage to the pituitary, secondary to ischemia during childbirth, which to me sounds... Um, kind of esoteric, but uh, it, it pops up all the time with these. So I wouldn't just blow it off. Asherman syndrome, which is interuterine adhesions and scarring. And then premature ovarian insufficiency, which is kind of like a uh, early menopause. So that's kind of your differential diagnosis. Again, there's a, a, a huge list here. Um, I just tried to pick out some of the more, <laughs> the ones I thought would be more relevant for your, for your exam. Labs and studies. Uh, again, we're going to do blood work. Uh, FSH, LH, beta, HCG, estrogen, prolactin, testosterone, pretty much exactly the same as before. Imaging, ultrasound of the, uh, of the pelvis and the thyroid, uh, CT, MRI, the hypothalamus, and pituitary. Treatment, once again, is going to be based on your underlying conditions and why we're here in the first place. Um, so we're not going to go through each of those because um, they're each going to have a long, uh, <laughs> a long list of things that you're going to do for them. And I just, again, don't think it's that relevant for your exam. So a couple more to get through today. We're going to cover uh, dysmenorrhea, uh, premenstrual syndrome, and menopause. Dysmenorrhea, or primary dysmenorrhea first. So we always, so in this situation, we have primary and secondary for a lot of these things. Uh, painful menstruation without pathological findings is primary dysmenorrhea. So we can't find anything wrong, but menstruation is extremely painful. This is generally considered to be caused by excessive prostaglandins. Um, so as you, and as patients get older and have kids, this seems to decrease. So primary dysmenorrhea is painful menstruation without pathological findings. It's believed to be caused by an excess in prostaglandin production. And the incidence will decrease as the patient gets older and or has children. They're going to present with low medial abdominal pain rating to the back and inner thighs, cramping, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, flushing, um, typically, this lasts for a couple of days, and physical exam is, again, unremarkable because we're not actually finding any uh, tangible pathology. Labs and studies, again, um, it's really just history and physical. Treatment for these women, the first line of treatment is going to be uh, NSAIDs beginning a few days before menses begins and continuing for a few days after to reduce prostaglandin production. Or uh, another alternative would be to prevent ovulation altogether which would be oral contraceptives, IUDs, or Depo-Provera shots, things of that nature, which are just going to stop the woman from ovulating and, can, and help control FSH and LH levels and all that stuff. 
Secondary dysmenorrhea. Um, this is painful menstruation with pathological findings. Okay, so we have a we have a direct cause that we can put our fingers on. Our differential diagnosis are the things that are going to cause things that will be that pathology. Will be endometriosis, pelvic inflammatory disease, pelvic pain, cervicitis, fibroids. All these things can cause secondary dysmenorrhea. We're going to go through those in more detail as we move through GYN. I don't want to cover them now because as we get into uterine problems. Um, and cervical problems. We're, we're going to cover that in the next couple of shows, so I'm not going to cover those in particular now, but things like endometriosis, pelvic inflammatory disease, pelvic pain, cervicitis, fibroids, and again, that list can will go on, will go on quite some ways. Um, that's where I'm going to end it. Clinical presentation. So pain, not necessarily correlated to the beginning of menses, bloating, menorrhagia, which is heavy menstrual bleeding, dyspareunia, which is pain with sexual intercourse, um, and you may actually even be able to feel the, the fibroid or enlarged uh, uterus. So if you do a bimanual exam and you feel through the abdomen, you may be able to actually feel that uh, uterus. You can also get a little bit different exam with endometriosis, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Labs and studies, again, a pelvic ultrasound, transvaginal will usually be the most helpful. Uh, hysteroscopy, so putting a scope up through the cervix and into the uterus and looking around. Laparoscopy, which is uh, taking a scope and going into the abdomen and looking around there. And MRIs as well. So we're looking for causes of this pain. Treatment, um, again, we can start with NSAIDs or oral contraceptives. And then if these things are not helpful and we have a clear diagnosis, and there are some surgical things we can do if we know what we're going after. So you can start with a, a DNC or dilation and curatage and scrape out the uterine lining. You can do a hysterectomy and take the uterus out. You can fulgur, uh, fulgurate or sort of burn the endometriosis implants. If you do this uh, laparoscopically, you go in, you actually see where the endometriosis is, and you um, run a little electricity across it to burn it. Uh, again, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we cover endometriosis in the next couple of weeks. And those are basically our treatments for secondary dysmenorrhea. So the important keys here to take away would be primary versus secondary. Again, one has a clear pathological issue, the other does not. Something we can um, treat, something we can go after. And in both cases, we're really gonna start with NSAIDs and oral contraceptions to try to get the hormone regulations to a little bit better under control and that usually helps. Premenstrual syndrome or PMS. There is an association between PMS, postpartum depression, and perimenopausal depression. So something to keep in mind for these patients long-term. Symptoms occur during the second phase of the menstrual cycle and are, ele uh, <laughs> I wrote elevated in the notes, I'll have to go back and fix that, alleviated with menstruation. So you get this during the second phase, not in the first phase, not after menstruation. If you have these symptoms at other parts during the menstrual cycle, then it's not PMS, it's something else. A clinical presentation, uh, bloating, swelling, breast pain, constipation, mood and psychological issues, including irritability, anxiety, depression, food cravings, aggressiveness, changing in sleep patterns. Uh, and again, symptoms occur during the luteal phase. And there can be no symptoms during the follicular phase. Patient history and daily charting of symptoms is how you're going to sort of track this. You're not really going to order imaging studies and those sorts of things. Treatments are going to be, um, one thing that works fairly well is diet modification. So increasing complex carbohydrates and decreasing simple carbohydrates. Increase calcium and vitamin D. Avoiding high sugary foods, which is sort of what we just said. Uh, avoiding alcohol, avoiding caffeine, and decreasing salt intake. Regular exercise helps. Emotional support and stress reduction will help. And always consider depression as your primary diagnosis. 
And then we can finish with, <clears throat> excuse me, with some medications, which would be selective uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs. Oral contraception, again, may help in these cases. Uh, diuretics like spironolactone. They talk about 100 milligrams daily during luteal phase. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to come up on your exam, but that's what I, the information I came across. And NSAIDs, again, should be helpful in these cases. Lastly, for today, we have menopause. Uh, this is typically diagnosed after six months without menstruation. Average age is 51. I think that's a uh, probably a good thing to note. Average age is 51. Premature menopause is younger than 40. And again, we just covered secondary amenorrhea. So if you have a, you know, a 40-year-old or a 45-year-old who has not had their period for six months, don't start with menopause. Start with secondary amenorrhea and look at the whole picture. All right. So, I mean, obviously it's diagnosed after six months, so we can run into some question marks there with somebody who's 50 or somebody who's 52. We're obviously going to be leaning toward menopause, but just keep in mind that initially you may have a situation of some kind of pathology causing secondary amenorrhea. So just keep that in mind. I lost my place in my notes. Hang on just a second. Um, clinical presentation. There we go. Hot flashes in 80% of cases, depression, irritability, insomnia, dysuria, vaginal dryness, dyspareunia, and again, secondary amenorrhea. Labs and studies, you're going to need a beta HCG. Remember, you never know. Okay. Our number one reason for primary or secondary amenorrhea is pregnancy. So get a beta HCG in everybody. FSH greater than 30 milligrams per deciliter is diagnostic. There's no feedback loop at this point, so the FSH just goes up. Um, you're going to get an LH, you're going to get prolactin, and you're going to get a thyroid stimulating hormone um, to see where all of these levels are. Treatment, once again, is going to be based on symptoms. Um, symptomatic treatment is really how we deal with this. Changes in, changes in diet, exercise, and stress reduction often are helpful for the symptoms. Hormone replacement therapy, or HRT, for premature menopause and hot flashes, insomnia, and osteoporosis. The problem with hormone replacement therapy is there are risks, including breast cancer and cardiovascular issues. You can use vaginal estrogen creams for vaginal dryness and dyspareunia. And again, this is treated largely uh, symptomatically. Okay, and that'll wrap up our menstrual cycle and finish our discussion there. So we started GYN this week. Uh, next session, I want to, I'm going to cover uh, cervical and vulvovaginal disorders, I think, and then probably get into uterine disorders after that. Uh, we'll have a couple of shows of GYN, then we'll be done with uh, OBGYN, and then I'm thinking about putting it together in a nicer, neater package. We'll see how things go, uh, whether or not I'm going to get around, get around to being able to do that. Our study tip for today, I'm going to actually keep this very, very short. The study tip for today is to head over to the website and sign up for the email list. Through the email list, I absolutely put out my best material as far as studying uh, best methods and routines, the data behind what I'm talking about. It's, uh, you can get a ton of that stuff through the email list. So head on over to the website, www.physicianassistantexamreview.com and sign up for the email list. I do not hit you with tons of stuff. In fact, I probably don't send out as much as I should. Um, but initially, you will get a bunch of information on study techniques, study habits, uh, and again, the data backing up a lot of that stuff. So go ahead and sign up for that. Uh, I can't, you know, I, I think it's it's incredibly helpful. It's stuff I wish that I had had, had access to and the information about when I was in school, it would have made a world of difference. So anyway, that's the study tip for today. Let's wrap up with our review questions. Uh, all right, let's go. 
What defines the first day of the menstrual cycle? What defines the first day of the menstrual cycle? By now, you should absolutely be able to get this, each and every one of you, without any trouble at all, the first day of menstrual flow. What hormone dominates the first half of the menstrual cycle? Same as the first question we had uh, uh, at the top of the show. What hormone dominates the first half of the menstrual cycle? Follicular stimulating hormone, FSH. What FSH level diagnoses menopause? We just did this about 30 seconds ago. What FSH level diagnoses menopause? Were you paying attention? Greater than 30. Does PMS occur in the follicular or lydial phase of the menstrual cycle? If you remember what I talked about at the beginning of the show, which is understanding which is first, which is second, how this whole thing works, you'll know the follicular phase is first, then you ovulate, then you have the luteal phase, and then you have uh, menstrual flow. PMS comes right before the menstrual flow, so it has to be during the luteal phase. Again, I have trouble memorizing things. I have a lot better chance of understanding them and being able to recreate them in my brain. I think that's so much easier than memorizing every little detail that you've got because there's just so much to memorize. It's almost impossible. So anyway, that wraps up our show for today, our beginning of GYN. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I did want to say congratulations to Joy and Jose. They both passed their exams and <laughs> let me know about it. Um, so congratulations to you guys. Good luck to anybody taking their test this week. Um, one other thing is head over to iTunes and leave a review there for me for the show. I think that really helps and it's, it really boosts my ego and it's nice to see and helps other people find the show. So if you could do that, that would be great. Uh, again, head over to the website, check out www.physicianassistantexamreview.com, hop on the email list and that'll wrap it up for this week. Good luck and I will talk to you again. Uh, we'll pick up with cervical issues. <laughs> I'll see you then. Take care.